Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting at verse 1, says, Now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments, which the Lord your God commanded to teach you, that you might do them in the land whither you go to possess it, that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I commanded thee, thou and thy son, and thy son's son, that doesn't eliminate the daughters, they're involved as well, all the days of thy life, and that thy days may be prolonged. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that you may increase mightily, as the Lord God of thy fathers has promised thee, in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Somebody say, in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thy hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house, and on thy gates, and it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not, and houses full of all good things which thou fillest not, and wells digged which thou diggest not, vineyards and olive trees which thou plantest not, when thou shalt have eaten and be full. Then beware lest thou forget the Lord, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Amen. And one passage, one couple of verses in John chapter 8. John 8, starting at verse 31, says, Then Jesus said to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Amen. With the help of the Lord this morning, I want to preach this question. How do you know? How do you know? Let's pray. Father, we love you. We're thankful for your presence here as we've worshipped you and magnified you, Lord, of which you are worthy and so much more. And Lord, as we open your word together today, may you speak to our hearts, Lord, to young, to old, Lord, to those that are recently a part of our church family and those that this is all we've ever known, may you challenge us, Lord Jesus, today. May you, Lord, communicate to us that it is your desire that we would know you, that we would know you more, that we would know you as our God, as our Father, and that we would know what is your will and your purpose for our lives today, we pray. Anoint me to minister your word, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Way back in the book of Genesis, when God began to prepare a people that would belong to him, a people that would be set apart for him, the people that he would choose to reveal himself amongst and through, the Bible tells us that God called a man named Abram out of an idol-worshipping nation, out of an idol-worshipping family, and he called him to leave that place and to follow him. And God told Abraham, as he would become known later, of a land that he had prepared for him, of a land that he had prepared for the nation 
that would be formed out of the descendants of Abraham. And if you know your Old Testament history, you know that this process took several centuries. And it included his descendants needing to be delivered from bondage, having been enslaved in the nation of Egypt. And when they were finally delivered from the nation of Egypt and the Lord began to lead them to the promised land, they reached a place called Kadesh Barnea or Kadesh Barnea where they were on the fringe of the promised land and the Lord directed Moses and spies were sent in and reports were brought back and there were some good reports and there were some bad reports and there's just something about human nature that chooses to go with bad news rather than good news. And the people of God en masse, except for a very small amount, chose fear instead of faith. And it caused them to spend somewhere around the next 40 years wandering in the wilderness before entering into the promised land. In a similar period of Israel's history, around this time and just prior, God had met with Moses on Mount Sinai and gave him what has since then come to be called the Law of Moses which was a detailed collection of laws that were given to Moses to direct the people in the way that God required them to live. The nations around about them, Egyptians, Philistines, Syrians, Canaanites, Amalekites, Hittites, and so on and so forth, were idol worshippers. That meant that if you look into the background of some of those people and their practices, they worshipped all kinds of false gods. Some of them worshipped the the elements of nature, the sun, the moon, the stars. Some worshipped their ancestors. Some worshipped statues of gods that they had designed themselves, that they'd come up with in their own imaginations. The Philistines famously worshipped an idol named Dagon, who was half man, half fish. I don't know how they came to that conclusion. A group of them sitting around one Saturday afternoon said, hey, this would be really cool. Let's have a half man, half fish god. I don't know how they came up with that. But they came up with these idols, anything rather than acknowledge and worship the one true living God who was their creator. And their idol-worshipping lifestyles included many immoral and unclean practices that did not please God. Everything from temple prostitution to offering their children as living sacrifices on altars unto their false gods. These things were abhorrent to God. And it is in this setting and this environment that God gave his chosen people his law. He wanted them to be distinctly different from all people. Not many of us like to be different. Not many of us like to stand out. In fact, often when people try to do something different to stand out, they're imitating somebody else that's doing something different to stand out. And you end up just being another kind of different. It's, it's kind of weird how that works, but that's just kind of how it is. But the law that God gave Moses addressed areas such as how they worshipped God and how they were not to worship any other gods. It addressed who they were to marry and how they were to treat that relationship. It addressed how they were to raise their children. It went as far as to teach them what they could and could not eat what crops they could and could not grow together. It taught them how they were to present themselves and even what their clothes could be made out of. It taught them how to treat their neighbors and their fellow Israelites. 
The law had a whole bunch of commandments and it covered other areas such as things, even such things as hygiene, morals, finances and other areas of their lives. God gave them laws so that they would be unique to him. Now when we read the Old Testament, when you read those page turners like the book of Leviticus and you read the law that God gave his people, some of those laws at face value or just reading them without understanding don't make a whole lot of sense to us in the present. Until we begin to dig deeper into the spiritual principles that are found behind the laws that God gave his people. I'm glad we live in an age where the Lord no longer wants us to abstain from bacon. And somebody say amen. amen. All right. we got some. <clears throat> But all of the laws, that's probably the best amen I'm going to get today, which is, that's pretty sad when you think about it, really. All of the laws were given so that the people might know that they belonged to God and that there was a way that they might live that would please Him and the way that they would live that would also protect their relationship with Him. That's ultimately what the law was about. And when we read in our opening passage from Deuteronomy chapter 6, it tells us that they were instructed to make their worship of God and their remembrance of His law central to their daily lives. Everything revolved around the fact that God was one and that they were to love Him with all of their heart, soul, and might. The passage that we read tells us that they were to teach their children when they got up in the morning, when they went to bed at night, when they were sitting in their homes, when they were walking together going somewhere. They were instructed to have the commandments of the Lord on their hands right hand, sorry, on their hands and on their foreheads between their eyes. And if you look into that, you'll see the Orthodox Jews still practice using what they call phylacteries, which are little boxes often made of leather that have commandments written on pieces of parchment inside of them. And they have them strapped to their hands and strapped to their foreheads, taking that instruction as literally as possible. Now, I don't know if the Lord literally meant them to do that, but they took it that literally and they made it that important. They were also commanded to have the commandments or the law of God on the doors of their houses and on the gates of their homes. So there's a, there's, there's, if you can't see an emphasis there, then I'm failing miserably at communicating how important the law of God was to him and how important he wanted it to be to his people. There is little doubt that God wanted them to know and to keep his commandments. And if you know any of the Old Testament, you know that in the centuries that followed, when they fell into sin and they worshipped false gods, these practices were no doubt compromised, if not neglected altogether. The reading of the law was sacred. When you study the scripture, the way they, the, they read the law, it was done in reverence and with great sobriety. The copying of the law, the handwritten copies of the scripture had to be done in a very precise fashion. There were systems in place so that the law of God would not be corrupted or diluted or polluted in any way. And I, I didn't really get into it all, but what I've read in times past was when they made little errors, they would throw it out and start again. It was to be kept exactly. And that was Israel's 
identity as a nation. Now, if you know the Old Testament, you know that they, they didn't do a great job of maintaining that identity. But then in the timing and the plan and the will of God, something happened with the Word of God that would change things forever. John 1 and 14 says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The same God that spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai all those years ago, who gave Moses those laws all those years ago, has now expressed himself, has declared himself in flesh. And he came to save us from our sins. He came to give us the hope of the new birth, to make a way for us to be born again of water and of spirit. No longer was it a mountain that shook with thunder and lightning and smoke and fire as God met with man, but now it's a river of living water that flows out of the vessels of men, women and children as God fills them with His Holy Spirit. The Word made flesh not only dwelt among us, but He would dwell within us as well. The prophet Jeremiah spoke to us about this in Jeremiah 31. And 31, he said, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was an husband unto them, saith the Lord. He said, That covenant I made through Moses, I was good to them. I provided for them. I protected them. I cared for them. But they broke that covenant. But then in verse 33, it says, But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. David said, and it's not in my slides, but in the 119th Psalm, I believe it is, he said, Thy word have I hid in my heart. Why? So that I might win a memory verse challenge? No, that I might not sin against thee. The word of God is useless until it drops from your head to your heart. I don't want to say it's useless. It's not that it's useless. It doesn't change us until it gets into our hearts. It is not a coincidence that when Jesus was asked which of the commandments was the great commandment, he immediately, without hesitation, reached back to Deuteronomy. In Matthew chapter 22 and verse 37, it says, Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. With all that Jesus came to do and teach and turn the world upside down, the central focal point had not moved one millimeter. There is still only one God. And we are still required to love Him with everything that we have. Amen. Even though the Lord came and He messed with a lot of their thinking and challenged their hearts and corrected and rebuked and encouraged and healed and ministered, the focal point had not changed. That centerpiece, the Shema of the Old Testament covenant, he reached through, reached back and brought it to the present and said, this is still the great commandment. And on this hang all the law and the prophets. And so here is my question today. Do you think 
that it was any less important in the sight of God for those he spoke to in Matthew to remember his word than it was for those in Deuteronomy. If the first and second commandments are still the center point of our focus, still powerful enough that if they're obeyed, the whole law could be kept. Think about that. We obey those two commandments, we keep the entire law of Moses. Hallelujah. If if they are obeyed, then from them, all of our direction, our commandments, our principles flow into every area of our lives. Should we then treat them with any less importance today? Jesus identified himself in John 14 and 6 as being the truth. He didn't simply say he brought it, he said he was it. He declared in a similar passage that his spirit was the spirit of truth. And then as we read in the beginning in John chapter 8, it says, Then Jesus said Jesus to these Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The Bible scholars amongst us know that this word know in verse 32 is not referring to a casual acquaintance or an occasional interaction, but it includes in its meaning an intimacy, a closeness. It's the Greek word gonosko, an understanding. It's not you've met somebody and therefore you can say you know them. There is, there is a relationship, there is a, a depth, there is a pursuit. He said you shall know the truth. And it shall make you free. And my message this morning is how do you know? How do you know? How do you know who Jesus is? Is it what somebody's told you? Nothing wrong with that as long as it's accurate. How do we know that we need to be saved? How do we know how to be saved? How do we know how to live for God? The answer is not a mystery. It's obviously from the Word of God. It has to come from the Word of God. So the question is, do we know what it says? This morning, do we know what the Word of God says? And let me be very clear so nobody gets feels like I'm coming down hard on them. We are all at different stages of our walk with God. Whether it's our natural age, whether it's how long we've been walking with God, and God does not expect you to be someone else. But all of us are challenged to desire to know the truth whether we're first learning what that means or we've known it since we were children. How do we know? Do you know what it says? If the Israelites, remembering that the first commandment is still the central focus, if the Israelites were commanded to know the Word of God and to teach their children when they got up in the morning, when they went to bed at night, when they were sitting down in their homes, when they were walking together going somewhere, they would have it on their hands and before their eyes. They would have it on the doors and the gates of their houses. If that's what they were commanded, what does 2022, knowing the truth, look like in comparison? Is it grabbing your Bible only when you're coming to church? Let me tell you something. If you've got to look for your Bible Sunday morning, you have a problem. If you get up Sunday morning and go, where did I leave my Bible? I put it somewhere last Sunday when I came home. I just wanted to have something to eat and I forgot where I put my Bible. That's a sign of not being spiritually healthy. Amen. If the only word of God that you're knowing is what you hear from this pulpit, 
That's not enough. Is knowing the truth, bringing your children to children's ministry once a week and ticking a box? Is your idea of knowing the truth a unique blend of poor understanding of the Word of God mixed with the philosophies of men and your family or cultural traditions? I want to challenge us today. Make no mistake, we are living in a land filled with Canaanites, Amalekites, and Moabites. You may not drive down St. George's Terrace and see a statue of a half-man, half-fish god, but idolatry is rife in our society. Their immorality is everywhere around about us, and ugly ungodliness is the prevalent philosophy of the world in which we live today. I'm not being harsh on people. I'm being harsh on the sin that's in this world. God loves them just as much as he loves us. Do not misunderstand me. But in the middle of all of that, God has called a people by his name to walk in his ways, to be separate, to be holy. And if you haven't picked that up in the conference messages in the last couple of nights, I don't know where you've been. His word still teaches us in 2022 how to worship God and how to not worship other gods. It still teaches us how we should choose who we marry. Now, it's not so important that it comes from a a natural nation anymore, but it matters who you choose to marry. It matters how we treat those relationships. The Word of God still teaches us how to raise our children. It still teaches us how to present ourselves in a godly fashion. It still teaches us how to treat our neighbors and our fellow believers. It still teaches us so many other areas about morals and finances and so many other things. But how do you know? How do you know? You desperately need to be in the house of God. You desperately need to be in the house of God. But you desperately need to have God in your house. As awesome as being together is, it is not enough. It is not enough. The Israelites went to the tabernacle to worship God. Some of their sacrifices and their offerings were required by law. Others were voluntary or of their own free will. Sometimes because they had sinned, needed to make it right with God. Other times it was because they wanted to worship God and to thank God. You desperately need to be in the house of God. But the Lord knew that their relationship with him would either succeed or fail on what was happening every day in their homes. You desperately need God in your house. That's why around the Shema, around that powerful statement of hero Israel, it's when you get up in the morning, it's when you're sitting in your home, it's when you go to bed, it's on your door, it's on your gate. Notice there's no mention of the tabernacle there. It wasn't that they didn't have to go to church, but he said it's going to live and die with what happens in your house. That's where it's going to live or die. And you desperately need to have God in your house. Parents, we love you. We love your kids. I love kids. They're so much less complicated than their parents. We love you. We love your kids. We buy our children school uniforms. We buy them books. We buy them lunch boxes and shoes. And they lose them on a regular basis. 
My little sister used to lose a shoe, it seemed like once a week at one stage, and they drove my mother insane. Didn't lose both, just one, always just one shoe. And we send our kids to school for around 30 hours a week. And we should. Education is important. You need to follow up with your kids when they're at school. You need to have communication with their teachers. You need to make sure they're doing their homework. You need to know what they're being taught. It matters. But as much as you want those little boys and girls to be educated, please, parents, do not underestimate your children's capacity to absorb the Word of God. Do not think they're just kids. Kids can take... I want to tell you something. Most of the Scripture that I can quote from this pulpit, I memorized before I was 18. Not when I turned 45. Most of it I memorized in my youth. Sometimes of my own free will, sometimes because I had to. But I'm glad that I did. If your kids can learn their times tables, they can learn their memory verse for Sunday morning. If they can begin to learn about science and maths and nature, they can begin to learn about Jesus and about how to live for God. And if you are going to live a victorious life for Jesus and be ready for his return, then this house needs to be working together with your house. Neither of them can be neglected. Some of us have been privileged to be raised in the church, hear the word of God all our lives. Others have come to know the Lord as adults and have started their journey then. It's not when you started that matters, it's what you're doing with it now. How do you know? And if you don't know, what are you doing to find out? Let let me say this, and please don't take this wrong. I know I'm a good teacher of the Word of God. I'm not being proud. I know I'm because God has made me that way. He's called me that. If you knew me when I started, this is a God thing. This is not a natural talent thing. The glory is His. Believe me. But it doesn't matter if I was the Apostle Paul. Half an hour, 45 minutes on a Sunday morning is not going to cut it for your family. It's going to take more than that. How do you know? It takes time. It takes growth. But if you are committed to it, you will be amazed how Jesus will lead you and add to your understanding. Brother Peter McCallum, will you stand up, please? I'm embarrassed, my friend, this morning. I remember when this man first came to church. There are some stories I'm not going to tell because I love him. Brother Peter didn't do a whole lot of school. Didn't know pretty well anything, I think, about the Bible. Is that right, bro? Came into church with a hungry heart. Brother Paul and Sister Pam began to teach him the Word of God. He was born again of water and spirit, began that journey. Starting out with just little bites. Ends up going to Bible school. That was a struggle for Brother Peter. Ended up doing the diploma level and graduating with honors because he committed himself. Now he's preaching the Word of God. That doesn't happen by accident. How do you know? Now, he's been in church. He sat under preaching and teaching. But he is a man that reads the Word of God. He's a man that reads books about the Word of God. He spends time in the Word of God. He's not only dependent on being here. Thanks, bro. You can sit down. There are others here I could name. There are people personally been involved in and seen them come from not knowing anything about the word of God to being involved in serving and ministering in various capacities. It doesn't happen by accident. You just get up one day and decide, hey, you know what, I'm going to be a doctor. 
I think I'll do an online course for two and a half hours and then I'll practice brain surgery on my children. If you decide you have a goal, how much study is necessary? Our tertiary students, how much work does it take to get that bachelor's, to get that master's, to get that PhD for the uber nerds amongst us? How much work does it take? It's a lot of discipline. And I commend you and I I support you in in your education. But how do you know what you believe? How do you know how you're supposed to live? How do you know who Jesus is in a world full? I used to think the world was crazy when I was growing up. The world was sane when I was growing up. The world's gone so crazy, they're running out of new ways to become crazy. If you don't know what you believe, you're going to believe something. Some of us need to turn YouTube off and open our Bibles up. It takes time. You know, Brother Glass, our former pastor, when he was saved, he was a 28-year-old alcoholic footballer. Ran away from home at 14 years of age. That was his education level. When he got saved, the only thing he ever read was the weekly rugby league magazine that used to come out on the East Coast. But he sat with his King James English Bible and forced himself forced himself to read, did not understand it much at all. You know, Philip joined the Ethiopian eunuch and he said, do you understand what you read? And he said, how can I? Except somebody show me, but days become weeks and weeks become months and months become years and God adds to understanding to the point he ended up being a minister and a pastor and a missions director, ministered across Australia and across the world, was never ever highly educated. I did Bible school with Brother Glass. He was always the last one in the exam room. We were all waiting outside and he was sitting there plodding away. But he was committed because he wanted to know. He wanted to know. Do not think if you're not academic or wholly educated, you cannot know the Word of God. Scripture says he's chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. It's all about hunger. It's not about intelligence. Sometimes intelligence can be a hurdle. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Blessed Lord, if you're raising a family today, you have an incredible opportunity to imprint your children with the Word of God while their young lives are being formed. Now, I learned my timetables as a child. I had a school teacher for a mother. It wasn't an option. I learned my timetables as a child. They were drilled into me, and I'm glad for that. I see people at the checkout going, that's the Lord help them. They were drilled into me as a child. I don't have to refresh them as an adult. They're there in my memory. I can't forget them even if I wanted to. They're just there. But you know what else I learned as a child? I asked my mum to bring this this morning. That's my first Bible. The flower stickers mum added later, just in case you're wondering. They're not from me. Okay, just to clarify. But that is my first Bible. Now, because mothers are sentimental, I didn't want to keep it, but there was no way mum was throwing it away. It's fallen apart now. I noticed, it must, Some pages must have come out. I noticed before the service because the very first page is the book of James. Mum must have stuck that in later. 
It's got James 1 and then Genesis 1. So something funny going on in this Bible. But as a primary school child, I read this cover to cover. Do I understand what I read? No. But a pastor and a parent told me that this mattered. And little by little, over time, I began to connect the pieces. You know, I understand. If you're a new saint, we understand. It seems like a jigsaw box and you've got no idea how the pieces go together. But those of you unusual people that like jigsaw puzzles know that if you stare at the pieces long enough, something begins to fit. That's why I don't do jigsaw puzzles. The Word of God is a little bit like that. If you give yourself to it, over time, a piece will connect with another piece. A frame will begin to form. Pictures will begin to reveal. Faces, buildings, scenery, and the the picture begins to fill out. And the awesome thing about the Word of God is that the picture is never complete. He's always giving you another piece, another revelation, another understanding. But it starts... If you are wise parents, little by little, this little Bible started a foundation in my life. Amen. So that for me, hero Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, is now as automatic as five times five is 25. I don't have to think about it. It's automatic. There is one God. And his name is Jesus. Because somebody put up with a stubborn child and tried to imprint that child when they were small. How do you know? This is my challenge to us this morning. How do we know what the Word of God says? There are Bible studies. There are books. There are reading plans. There are devotionals. We have a Bible college that runs in this church. There are services where you are taught the Word of God. There is no shortage of availability. The issue is desire. If you are not learning and growing in the Word of God, it is your problem. It's not mine. (laughs) It's a personal problem. And we're going to be continuing, as we always have, to teach the Word of God in this place this year. We're going to be having some specific teaching in coming weeks about holiness and being apostolic in our lifestyle. I'm going to announce more about that in coming weeks. It's going to be on Wednesday nights for a season. And we are going to be starting our Sunday morning Bible class again. We had to sort of lose that because of COVID and various things. But hopefully we'll be able to maintain that as we go into this year. And these are all reasons why you need to be in this house. But we also want to do what we can to challenge you, to assist you with the Word of God in your house. And for some of you, you've got good Bible habits, good Bible study habits, and we commend you for that. But to do what we can to help, our our children's ministries department this year is beginning to use a curriculum that is called God's Word for Life. And what it does is each class, each age class, will be doing the same lesson adjusted to their age bracket, obviously. The older class will have a bit more detail and and depth and, and so on and so forth. But we will be using the adult class for our Bible class on Sunday mornings. We're also going to be running a youth class for a sort of the 13 to 17 kind of age bracket on a Sunday morning as well. And it will all be the same lesson, customized to how old we are. But it's not just that lesson. What's also been produced, look, we can provide tools, but unless you pick them up, they don't do much. 
what has also been produced to go with these God's Word for Life lessons is daily devotionals. So there is an adult daily devotional which will correspond to that Sunday school lesson every day that week. There'll be something that connects back to that lesson from Monday through Saturday. So that if you are wanting to know, you, a devo- some of you know what a devotional is, some of you are like, what in the world's a devotional? A devotional is basically a short mini Bible study where you'll get some scripture and a thought and something to meditate about from the Word of God that will connect back to that Sunday school lesson. There are adult devotionals, there are youth devotionals, and then there is a family devotional for families that have little kids. That very simple things that parents can do with their children. It's not heavy duty. It's a different kind of thing each day of the week, so it's not like, oh, same thing as we did yesterday. They've put a huge amount of effort into this, but that effort has no value unless we take advantage of it. Now, there is a cost involved. There's always a catch. The Sunday school lessons are produced quarterly, so 13 weeks at a time. The devotionals for the adults and the youth are also produced quarterly. So you will get 13 weeks of devotions to go with the Sunday school lessons we'll be teaching. 13 weeks worth of adult devotions cost $6.99 for a digital copy. You all thought it was going to be worse than that. That's why I made it sound that way. You know, under promise and over deliver. That's what they tell you. But we believe in this enough that if you want to be involved in that, for the first term of Sunday school, the church is going to pay for half of your devotional. We want you to buy into it as well so it's not just a freebie. But if you want to be involved in that, if you think, no, I don't want the church to pay, that's fine, go ahead and buy it yourself. $6.99 is not even two cups of coffee nowadays. Unless you go to Brother Andre's with his newly fixed coffee machine and get a coffee for free. I hope everybody doesn't come off to church today, brother. But for $7 for a quarter of a year, you can get a daily. And the idea is that it will be in your home. You'll be able to talk to your youth. You'll be able to talk to your children. You'll all be learning the same lessons and reflecting on those lessons together. And if we buy into this, the church will do it as well. So you'll be able to talk to your brothers and sisters. Hey, what did you think about that devotional yesterday? That really blessed me. Or you might even say, hey, I haven't got a clue what that was about. Can you help me understand it? But look, we've got to get the Word of God into our hearts, into our homes in this day and age. But it it only works if you make it work. I won't be coming round to people's windows and coming up against the glass and checking what you're doing. We'll try to remind you each week. We'll use our social media to remind us what week we're on the the devotions because the lessons won't be lining up with the calendar because of the way they do things in the US. But we'll clarify that as we go along. Now, the family devotional, if you have small children, it is for a 12-month period, not for a quarter. So it's, it's a full year worth of family devotions for you and your little ones. It is around about, I think, in Australian dollars, about $35 for an entire year. Again, if you have kids that are of that age, we're going to take care of half of that for you as well. The elders, were, we, elders met the other day and we wanted to try to invest in this because we believe the Word of God matters. And you may say, hey, 35 bucks a year, no sweat, I'll take care of it. That's okay. I'm not going to be checking up who's doing it and who isn't, but I am doing my best to imprint upon your hearts how do we know. We've got to know what we believe. We've got to have one of the things that bothers me is the absence of the Word of God in our lives day to day. 
If it's not in your home, it's not in your heart. And if it's not in your heart, let me read something to you from the Word of God. This isn't in my notes, so you're going to have to give me a moment. I've got to find it old school. Actually, no, I'm going to find it digital because I want to look at something else. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 10, talking about the last days. Now, you prophecy gurus can argue about when all this goes together. But the principle applies. 2 Thessalonians 2 and 10 says, And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, those that are deceived with unrighteousness will perish. Why? Because they received not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. Amen. We've got to have it in our hearts, in our homes, and in our church. The Amplified Bible gives us that verse and it says, By unlimited seduction to evil and with all the deception of wickedness for those who are perishing. So it can be turned around. Because they did not welcome the love of the truth so as to be saved. The Word of God matters. It has always mattered. And it matters more for us today than it ever has. Because the gap between holiness and righteousness and godliness and this world is spreading rapidly. And if you do not know, you will be tossed about with every wind of doctrine, the Bible says. We've got to know. But pastor, I'm a new saint. I can't read very well. I'm not very academic. Just start. Just start. Don't try to be the pastor. Don't try to be one of the ministers. Don't try to be Brother Paul who's been reading his Bible longer than I've been alive. God didn't call you to be that person. If he's recently saved you, he knew exactly when that was going to happen. And he knew exactly how he would provide for you. And so it's just a decision. I'm going to start. Amen. Bless the Lord. It is up to you. But we want to help if we can. We, are, you know, we, we always preach the word. I think it's a, a very strong focus. But as, as the Lord's return draws closer, the need for the word of God and understanding the word of God is literally eternal life and death. It matters because, as I think it was Brother Woodward spoke about last night, the world is calling good evil. It's calling darkness light. We're not looking at just slight differences anymore. We are at polar extremes. Amen. It's not that long ago that there were people in society that lived what we considered, not what God considered, but what we considered to be reasonably good lives. But now there is chaos. Now there is, you know, I was getting my hair cut the other day and the lady cut my hair who I didn't know had any kind of church background. She was saying to me all this stuff that's gone on. She said, she made up a little bit of voice. She said, it's all very revelation-y to me. And I said, you bet it's revelationary. I said, the, the world's coming to a close. It is very much the signs of the end times and Jesus is coming back. Now, I can't get a haircut too often, but every time I go, I'm going to be trying to talk to her because we need to know the word of God. People need to hear the word of God. You need to be able to give an answer for what you believe. You need to be able to understand yourself. Why do I believe this? Why does our church practice this? Why? How do we No. Let's stand together this morning.